Simonstown, just south of Cape Town, looks beautiful. Even in mediocre holiday photos. There are cute little penguins here, waddling in the surf, on the beach. But none of that is visible from the parking lot where this story begins. Because even though we are only a few meters away from the water, we can't see it. There is a giant wall in the way. Next to the parking lot is a house. It is one of five museums in Simonstown. Each museum offers a different display of the past. Not because any of them are wrong, but because there is never just a single past. The house used to have a view of the sea. My name is Neo Rakhajani, and you are listening to a Sound Africa podcast. This episode is called Auntie Patty's Garden, and Rasmus Bits tells the story. It says the museum is closed, but I'm going to take my chances. I'm here to visit the Heritage Museum and to talk to its founder, Mrs. Davidson. Or rather, Auntie Patty, as everyone around here calls her. I want to ask her why she's turned her house into a museum and to find out which version of the past she thinks isn't covered by any of the other museums. Hello, good morning, how are you? Nice today. Really, yeah? And it makes you feel like nauseous or Yes, yes, nauseous and lightheaded and dizzy and then I go walk like a crab. But it's the blood pressure that's not right. And in any case, so what are we gonna chat about today? As you're hearing this, you can't see that Patty has just almost run down a steep and narrow staircase that would make anybody thirty years younger hold on tight and walk slowly. Auntie Patty is both the founder of the museum and its curator, and she complains about being dizzy, but still walks sure-footed and determined, not intending to waste any of her time. So we sit down in a room next door where the walls are covered with hundreds of photographs and yellowing newspaper clippings. In the middle of the room is an antique bed with an upholstered headboard made up with ivory-colored bedding. This is my wedding suite that is there. Um, I'm married 57 years, so my husband gave it to me. And uh, this is a typical Cape Malay decor. Of course, the, the dresses hanging here on the cupboards are just samples of some of the Malay dresses that the, the brides wore. So these are all like these wedding are dresses. All they are wedding dresses. They are incredibly uh, beautiful. Is it uh, silk? 
Yes, there's silks and taffetas, and there's even an, the red Indian one, all embroidered out, beaded with um, sequins and, and uh, cords and all things like that. Um, the Malay bride would have anything up to five wedding dresses, changes of wedding dresses on their wedding day. They would have one for the morning when they get uh, the, the, the religious ceremony, then uh, one o'clock when they go to the reception to the guests, and then for tea time another one, they, they leave and come back in a change of dress, and then the, the last one, or sometimes the one before the last, uh, would be another color, and normally it would be a white or cream, uh, oyster, that type, ivory, uh, a fi the, the, the final dress. You know, just like you would have in the, in the uh, mannequin parades, that is what our weddings used to be like as well. You can see like a Charleston era type of dress. Yes. That belonged to my aunt and she made it in 1932. You know, because I know history of the last 80 years, that is what I know. Uh, that is the theme of this museum. The people of Simonstown that were forcibly removed from Simonstown, but focusing on the Cape Malay culture. Oh, there are people out there. You, you can go and talk to them, that's fine. Auntie Patty's life, her family and her museum is barely separated. Not only because she lives on the first floor, but also because the people that seem to arrive here in a steady flow are a mix of family, friends and random tourists. And aside from that, she first moved in here in 1935. There are days when we don't see anybody. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, people just decide to come. Because it says on the sign that the museum is closed. Closed, yes. So that's why they came and asked are you open? I says, no, we're not open. But how can I tell people, no, you can't come in <laughs> when they're here already. So I said, no, well, you do your own thing. So, sorry, um, I, you were saying that uh, you felt like the museum, to some extent, got forced upon you. How? Yes. Um, look, this used to be our family home. And we were the last people that were forcibly removed from Simonson from this house. And when the ANC came into power, we could claim for our properties. I claimed the properties on behalf of my family. I no sooner had the forms in when Public Works phoned me and said, Mrs. Davidson, I see you've got a, a, a claim in and we actually are busy trying to rent out the place because after we left, it was taken over by the Navy. So it was Navy officers, but then they scaled down and moved to, whoever was in here, moved to Durban. So they needed either to rent out the place or the place had to be given to us and they couldn't just give it to us. The reason they couldn't just give the house back to the Davidsons was because all procedures had to be followed. Or at least that's what Auntie Patty was told. But while paper was being moved from desks in one government office to other desks in another government office, the Department of Public Works offered the family a deal. They could move in, pay a nominal rent and start renovating the house. Then, the official explained, the house would be livable when it was returned to the Davidsons in one or two years. So, uh, 
I spoke to all my siblings and then they said, well, they, none of them could do it. And we were available and we said, fine, and we got the keys and that's how we came back. But of course it was a den with the fleas and the cockroaches and the stray cats and the lizards and the geckos and even the little garden snakes. So before we moved in, we fumigated the place three times. So when we came with our furniture, when we opened up, there was all, all these hoas and things lying all over the show and the dust and everything. And we said, no, we cleaned up one room and we packed everything into that room. And then my husband and I walked up here and decided what we're going to do. That I think was on the Friday. And then on the Sunday, my sisters and brother came here. And the first thing we did was to go up the stairs and we were standing on the little landing looking down. So looking down the well, the stairwell, all these beautiful memories came and we just bawled our eyes up because it wasn't the same. And then my sister said, but I can remember this as a big house, but it's not big anymore. So my, my brother said, no, the house is the same as you that got big. <laughs> and then we realized we're seeing it through the eyes of children. The Davidsons continued their scrubbing and their cleaning, and slowly Paddy's childhood home started appearing behind decades of dirt. But the retired couple weren't alone. The vagrants had moved in, and each of them had a little corner in the house. So you can imagine all of them in here. And our garden was a jungle, a dead jungle. So they were all sleeping under the bushes as well. And we first cleaned the inside, washed down the walls from top to ceiling. Painted where it needed a little bit of paint because we said we're not going to spend unnecessary money. We'll probably only be here for a year or two. Just make it livable. So, so sorry, you were saying that you got some of the homeless people that had been squatting in here to to help. Squatters came and helped us clean out the place. How did you get them to do that? Oh, they were busybodies. They just wanted to be involved and wanted to see what what was going on. And uh, we gave them sandwiches and and things like that. So, okay, they were too happy to help. So uh, the house became livable and we became so comfortable that 21, 22 years later, we dread having to leave one day because the claim has not been resolved. Still not? Still not resolved. 22 years later, we still haven't got our property back. Why? Only they know. The house was now livable, but outside, the garden was still a mess. And then the Sunday, my, my son and his two little boys and his wife came. And then my, my son went this way to the gate side. And then, then he shouted, Mommy, come and see. There's a path here. And then we went there and there was a path there. And there was a path all over the show. And then we got the, the main path. And I said, my goodness, I'd forgotten, but this is where our garage used to be. And this is where the chicken run used to be. And they've chopped down our, our fig tree. And this was our, our pool and we had fish in here and all. And then again, this the secret garden came to mind and I thought, I can do that. 
I can make it grow again. And I said to my husband, I want to clean up the garden as well. So he says, count me out. I've had enough of gardening. Everywhere we lived, we had beautiful gardens and I'm retired now. I said, fine. And then Sidwell and I, we took a wheelbarrow and uh, some spades. And we started on that side clearing up. And then we saw sand and paths and this is a garden. It can be a garden again. And But it was all ditches and I'm telling you, it took me a while. But not even Sidwell. I swept all the sand from all over the show and dumped it in there. And then I raked it, uh, 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 made the holes level again. And then slowly I went to go and look for pieces of grass and all over here and that side I dug out grass and I planted it in the rows every time a little bit a little bit a little bit and then there was a, a water laid on it on at the garden so I took a hose and I attached it and I started the water in the garden second day third day fourth day I come down here's my husband busy watering the garden and he's been watering the garden since that until today <laughs> and I thought got you <laughs> and then, but uh, at, at the moment because of the doubt um, the garden is very neglected but I made my secret garden into the magic garden again Davidson's were now finally back in Simonstown or were they? After the initial joy of rediscovering the pathways of their youth, they began to discover something else. They hadn't really returned, because the Simonstown they knew was no longer there. My husband, he always wanted to come back to Simonstown. He loved it. But the Simonstown that he wanted to come back to wasn't the Simonstown we came back to. Because our people was gone, and I couldn't make him understand. It is the people that makes the village. And uh, for a long time, oh, he was happy, and uh, uh, and then all of a sudden he, real, he realized also, but there's nobody here. He's got to go to Ocean View if he wants to meet people that he knew. I mean, he still liked it. It, it was still Simonstown and it was beautiful and whatever. But we really became cut off from everything. Do you feel like when you're walking through Simonstown now, this is a vibrant town, you know, it's full of, of people, but but none of the ones you knew. Do you feel resentment? I don't feel resentment. Um I just think, no, this is not Simonstown that I know. You know, we uh, uh, used to walk down and greet everybody and hello and goodbye and stand and chat and all that. We'll go now. Um, you don't know the people. They are holiday people. Back in Paddy's childhood, it wasn't tourists that crowded the streets of Simonstown. But that doesn't mean it wasn't crowded. While the house we're sitting in comfortably fits a small museum and an elderly couple, 
It's hard to imagine how exactly her whole family fit in here. As I said, I was born in 1935. Now, you know, those were the days where all extended families, they always, you all used to be together. So when we came here, it was my, my mom and my dad, my bachelor uncle, my aunt and her husband. I was a baby of two months old and then two sisters and a brother. Our nanny and my dad's cousin who worked in the shop. Yeah, there's a door there, so that was closed. And that section was divided into two little houses or two little uh, little flats or whatever. I don't know what you called it that time. But my granny and uh, her her daughter stayed in the one section and um, I don't know if you've heard of Imam Amin Baker who translated the Quran into Afrikaans. He was a young married man with I think two children so he had the other little section. The name is massive wall outside hides the sea from the ground floor where we're sitting. But taken away from me the sea is no less beautiful. It's just out of reach. The Simonstown of Auntie Patty's childhood and her youth was also taken away from her and from everyone else that had to move. But in her mind, it's vivid and joyful and of course, completely out of reach. Oh, it was a wonderfully peaceful, safe place. You could go out and walk in the, in the road two o'clock in the morning and nobody would uh, interfere with you and people looked to look after each other. You know, those were the years when a child of a, in, the in the village was everybody's child. People must have been poor. We never knew of poor, poor people. We never knew of rich people. People were people. And uh, nobody went to bed with an empty stomach. How did that come about? If you didn't have money, how did you eat? Yes, that is so amazing. Because we were a fishing village, the men worked as fishermen, and the men worked in the dockyard, and the more affluent people had businesses. Right. Now, here below us, in the dockyard, was the trek fishing spot for Mr. Jaffa. Mr. Jaffa was an Indonesian. And everybody, everybody used to come, children, the lot, and we used to drag the, net, the nets in. And um, as the, the, the fish is, is, uh, uh, is unloaded, the, the old man, Mr. Jaffa, he used to fill up his basket, and I suppose, I didn't realize at that time, but it must have been that that was now for his customers that is coming to fetch um, uh, their supply of fish. But he knew each and every child, each, each and every family. So this section was his responsibility. And he would say, Amle, five fish, Mochania, she was an old lady, and he said, <coughs> three fish for her. And then there was a, a small, say just a couple, and they say one fish for that one. And so, and I mean, he used to catch every day. So there was always fish. 
So, so Mr. Jaffa would then just give these all these fish away for free. Yes. When Patty was no longer a child and was marrying Mr. Davidson, they wanted to settle in Simonstown, but her father wouldn't allow it. He was a council member, the only council member in Simonstown that wasn't white. So he knew before most people what was coming. Maybe he sensed how apartheid would change the Simonstown they knew. The legal name for this was the Group Areas Act, and what happened was a massive forced removal program, uprooting families and erasing entire neighborhoods. 1960 I got married. And then there was the rumors, nothing definite. Come 1966, everybody starts getting their letters to say that you have to divocate your premises. The first to be moved was our black community. They were moved over a period of two weekends. Uh, uh, men came home and there was n- their houses weren't there. And then the neighbor said no. This is your new address, your wife, your wife and children would load it up here. Trucks just came and they took them to uh, the Langa and Guguletu. And then, of course, they, they had to get, I don't know how they got home. They probably, maybe they, they, they were given a bus or a train. Or, I, 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 I can't remember, but I know they had to go there. And then Monday, they had to come and work in the dockyard again. Start at seven o'clock. After the black community had been moved, it was time to move the coloreds. Most were transported to Ocean View, a new township built in the sand dunes in a place that used to be called Slankop. That's Afrikaans and it means snake hill or snake head. But Patty's family was not on the trucks. Probably we, we were spoiled. My dad was given preferential treatment. That's why we were the very last people that were forced out of Simonstown. The time they came to to tell my dad he's got to to uh, evacuate or vacate rather, he just had a cerebral hemorrhage, and we rushed him to hospital, to Fisher Hospital. And when we came home, uh, this guy came here from and said to my brother, where's the old man? I've come to, to tell him you've got to move out. The Navy wants to move in. So he says, man, my dad has just had a cerebral hemorrhage. We don't even know whether he's going to make it. So this guy said, George, man, just <laughs> uh, uh, we'll do something. You get your father sorted out, but and, and we, uh, w- once it's all sorted out, we'll come back again. They forgot about us. They forgot about us for five years. <laughs> and then they, we were the last, well, my brother and his wife and children were the last people of color that were still here, other than the Indians. Auntie Betty herself no longer lived in Simonstown. And she was young, newly married, and her life had just begun. But for the older generation, the forced removals were unbearable. The older people died of broken hearts. A lot, a lot, they'll tell you. No, my, my mother or my granny or whatever, she, she didn't survive. Most of them was within a matter of weeks or months. Then they would be gone. It was only of the old generation, it was only my dad and my uncle that were still here. 
and but and they were very close, all of them. When my dad uh, died, my uncle, my uncle had gangrene in, in his foot because he had diabetes, so it had to be amputated. When we came home from hospital, he was in the house, and I knocked at, uh, on the door, and it took a while, and then eventually I heard him um, shuffling with the one foot to come. And truly, I thought to myself, my uncle is going to die. That's a dead man walking there. It just flashed through my head. Less than a month later, he also died. And they just sit there on the heap and say, big daddy's gone, I got nobody. And I said, you've got us. I said, you've got us. Why? Why do you think that you've got nobody? Papa, you've got us. We're always here for you. He says, no, it's not the same. Big daddy and big mommy, they were my people. Your auntie was my people. You children, you can't be my people. I'm sorry I'm getting emotional, but you find all of us that lived through that era become emotional in the end. Almost on cue, the doorbell rings. Because Patty says she herself wasn't forcibly removed, I should speak to someone else. For example, her nephew Jackie, who conveniently walks up the stairs. Oh. Come and sit here in case. Yes, in case you 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 want, you want to add something. Yes. And in any case, Patty needs to go and cook. Yeah, I've I've still got to go cook. In any case, I'm just going to make pizza. So. Oh, pizza! I'm just going to make a pizza. Yes. So I sit down next to Jackie, a big man in his 60s with large, calloused hands, who once he gets started speaks directly from the heart. A lot of people have moved on. They've accepted the, the fact that they were moved out and uh, they, they, they sort of now carry on with their lives. But me personally, personally, uh, I don't like white people because of what they've done to us. Unlike Auntie Patty, Jackie was there when letters warned them they were no longer allowed in Simonstown. Yeah, I I can clearly uh, remember the day that we we had to leave. It was on a Saturday, and it was the same day that my mom and my dad moved. There was this one guy, uh, his name was Mr. Foreman, and he had a stupid truck. He was a contractor. He used to uh, ride sand and stone to, for the buildings and that. And then people uh, uh, made arrangements with him, you know, to uh, cart us to uh, to uh, Ocean View. My wife and myself had to move into a flat, but my parents were fortunate. They were staying on uh, on the on the corner, and it was a masonite, you know. So at least they had a, a, a piece of ground that they could sort of uh, plant and uh, and do things in where we were stuck in this uh, in this uh, middle flat. Now, Auntie Patty told me that 
the place that was basically houses erected on the sand. There wasn't really proper roads or infrastructure. No, no, no. This was a this was a a, a raw a raw place. There were uh, there wasn't a, a, a pavement, stored pavements. There wasn't a, a proper roads. And some of the houses were still raw. Uh, there was a lot of gangsterism because the gangs uh, were fighting for turf when the people moved into to, to Ocean View because it was people from uh, from Simonstown and there was people from Noortuk, from Redil, all different places. So the gangsters uh, 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 were, were sort of fighting for control of the turf. And uh, it was something that we weren't accustomed to. This was something new to us, you know. Staying in Simonstown, everybody knew each other. Uh, everybody shared with each other. But uh, moving to Ocean View, it was a complete different setup. People never knew each other. But when we got to Ocean View, then uh, at first... It never really sunk in that day what was really happening here, you know. Uh, it was more like uh, an adventure type of thing now. This is now something new now. But uh, after staying there for, for a year or two, and then it only really sunk in, you know, what where we were staying now and where we come from. What a vast difference between Simonstown and and uh, and uh, Slankop Ocean View. Is the house that you used to live in here? Is that still here? In Simonstown, yes, very much so. In fact, I was fortunate after about uh, uh, after about thirty odd years later, uh, a friend of mine uh, was working in the Navy. So where we were staying, the area that we were staying, uh, the Navy took over that whole area. Understand? Mm -hmm. And they, they turned it into a barracks. And he arranged that uh, myself could go with him into this naval barracks. I was fortunate that I could actually go into this house that I was born in. Because most of the other people's houses were simply gone. Yeah. Uh, you see, the places that we were, uh, that we grew up in were flats, man. blocks of flats. Uh, whereas people that were living in houses, um, most of those houses, they had demolished at this point, we start smelling the pizza from Auntie Patty's kitchen down the hall. But before we eat, Jackie says, there's still something he wants to show me. So we go to the other room, looking out one of the windows. And from here, we can't see the wall. I just want to show you the mountain there. That shaded yes. area. Yes. There's, there's all the flats that we used to stay now there's the waterfall. It's not running at the moment, mm. but you can see this uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the shape there. We had 
on the one side we had this beautiful mountains uh, and then on the other side we had this big falls by the beaches and funny enough where we used to say there was a river running through that's why the street that we lived in was called Riverside Road they had a small fish breeding in that river man and frogs and tadpoles and, and things and we used to uh, you know play in that river you could lay in your bed at night time and you could actually hear the water uh, running down from the mountains past our houses into the sea and to me that was that was so beautiful man now can you see that cross here on yes now as children we used to climb right up onto the top of that mountain there and there's caves there's one there's one cave you can actually see from here it's like a hole in the in 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 yes. the mountain there and then on the left hand side there's another one and then on the right hand side there's also a cave there, but in order to get to this cave on the right hand side, it was a, a small gap, man. You couldn't walk through there. You, you had to go onto your belly and crawl under this rock to get to that big cave there. This area here, like right in front where there's a parking lot now. Yeah, this was our soccer field. This was a gravel pitch. We used to play soccer here. When it's sports day by the school, we used to come here. But now you can see, look what it is now, a parking bay for the rich, for the rich whites. When I say I don't like white people, it doesn't mean to say I don't like you now. It's a terrible thing to be told in your country of birth you can't live here or you can't live there. You must get out. They chase you away like dogs. Go start a new life in the bundus. It's a hard thing, man. I, I just hope that one day I will, you know, be able to forgive it's because it's no no good to live a life with all this hatred in you man. so yes man yes my friend yeah. I've already made arrangements uh, when I when I pass on uh, my ashes will be buried here in Simonstown at the uh, old burial ground. It will be. I've arranged everything already. I'm glad, you know, at least something of me will remain in this beautiful, beautiful place called Simonstown. Everything I got is done in pawn. Everything 
You have been listening to a Sound Africa podcast. If you like this story, share it with the people you like. This podcast was produced and edited by Rasmus Bits with help from Neroli Price and Lars Overland. My name is Neo Rakajani. Everything I got is done Everything I got is done in pawn my chair, pawn my bed Ain't got nowhere to lay my head All out of me, didn't I shake sugary Everything I got is done in pawn Everything I got is done in part.